Welcome to Sitcom Geeks, the fortnightly podcast about all matters sitcom. I'm Dave Cohen. I'm James Carey. And uh, this is our producer, Katie. Hello. Katie Story. And we're at episode 10. Yes, we've made it to the big 1-0. The big 1-0. Very exciting. We shall celebrate by starting with an email. We, we do get some emails. We do get emails. Keep them coming. Uh, sitcomgeeks at gmail.com. Keep them uh, coming, but don't send us your sitcoms. Do not send us your sitcoms. We're the best one in the world. We don't have time to read them. We don't want to be accused of plagiarism in the future. It's just easier if you don't send them. But apart from that, keep sending <laughs> brilliant questions like this one from Gareth. Gareth wrote, Hello, just discovered your podcast. Really interesting. Thank you very much, Gareth. I have a question for you. I have been advised to remove all the swearing from my sitcom script to make it potentially available to a wider audience. Hmm. Would you agree that this is a generally good advice? I like a lot of the swear words. Now, James, of course, wrote Bluestone 4-2. Yes, which was quite a sweary show. Um, Understatement, uh, I think. Yes, that's right. The occasional yeah, yeah. non-swearing word. In yeah, that, yeah. There was, yes. Um, it's, a, it's a good question. I, I don't know who's giving you this advice, but I don't think people are as bothered about swearing to make it potentially available to a wider audience. I don't... Your, the script that you have at this stage needs to be what it is. If these feel like the kind of people that should that swear, then they should swear. Um, and if they're not, they shouldn't. I, I think if you're trying to use swearing as a way of getting laughs, you probably don't have good enough characters. You should probably look at that. But in general, if, if, if you don't need it, then I would get rid of it. But I would, I would just do it deliberately or, or not do it. Um, I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I think it's, it's it, obviously if you're doing an uh, an eight thirty family sitcom yeah. uh, that that is for all the family to watch, then you, you can't swear. You can't have swearing in there. But I mean, most people swear some of the time, and if it's uh, anything other than that, then you would actually, um, yeah, what feels right for your character. Um, I mean, one that actually. Funnily enough, there was an episode of my family that I was involved in that was uh, about a, a prostitute. And in fact, we I remember having to sit through um, three hours of a script meeting with the then uh, head of BBC Comedy, where we negotiated the number of words that we were allowed to use for uh, prostitute or hooker or trick, uh, given that the show had a repeat for showing 4.30 on a Sunday afternoon. So, right. so um, we, I remember a moment where, okay, we will take that one from page 48, but you have to allow us to say prostitute on page 52. Otherwise, the whole episode falls apart. Yeah. And uh, so, so obviously, be, uh, be sensible about it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, if the character's right, yeah, I think, and that's why I'm not I'm not a particularly sweary person in real life. I try not to be, but um, the show that we were writing was about soldiers, and soldiers swear a lot. They swear all the time. They don't even think about swearing because they just do it all the time. So we actually had less swearing in the show than soldiers actually use in everyday life, and we would right. occasionally get criticism from soldiers saying, "Where's all the swearing? You know, we swear a lot." Yeah, and to which we had to say, "Yes, we do have to get." F words and C words signed off by the channel. Uh, we had a pretty much a free pass on F words. Mm-hmm. We we did not have a free pass on C words, and oh, I think that's yeah. I think that's fair enough. Mm-hmm. So we had to use them very very sparingly, and only when that really was the only uh, word that we could use. 
So, in one sense, if you if you're trying to write a pre-watershed show, get rid of the swearing. If you're not, then not then don't worry about it. If your show is unbelievably sweary for no particularly good reason, then I think you're you're just showing off, Gareth. <laughs> so uh, you know, just remember, you kiss your mother with that mouth. Mm-hmm. Come on, it's not big and it's not clever. It's not big, it's not clever. Although it is sometimes funny. Yeah. So that's uh, an email from Gareth. And then there's uh, this. Uh, there's another email from uh, this is from Tim Watson. Tim Watson, who asks about archetypes. Yeah. He says, "Enjoying your podcast. I've been jotting down some notes about character archetypes." Yeah, and uh, he he basically he he sort of sent me a list of his ideas of, of, of archetypes, some of which I thought made sense, but I th- uh, I thought that they were a bit too sort of general, really. But I thought, well, what what are these specific archetypes? Can we can we identify more of them? By which we mean, uh, I suppose these are the characters. They're not necessarily the main character. In fact, they are not the main character in your sitcom. But every sitcom uh, needs obviously other people around them and there are certain characteristics which we're not well we're not asking you to uh do things that have already been done by other writers but that there are certain types of character who appear frequently in sitcom and uh we we've identified them and um we're going to run through them yes we are i mean just before we do that i mean there are some there are some types of character that actually become lead characters uh, or in, in some shows they're not like for instance we were talking about a show like last time like Dad's Army and there was this uh, a character Walker the Spiv and basically all he did in Dad's Army was, was try and get you stuff um, on the black market on the black market you know nylons bit of meat whatever uh, and that was his that was his entire role and then uh, the 80s came along that's right 80s and everybody was was like that and then you get these sort of main people like Del Boy Arthur Daly of course uh, arguably Blackadder I suppose was uh, I suppose more of a kind of opportunist absolutely really, yeah but, uh, but uh, and I had one and we had one in Bluestone 4 too because uh, I would say our Farouk. interpreter was mm. Farouk he, he saw this purely as an opportunity yeah. to sell things and we were we were told by our military advisors, yep, that's what they're like. Yeah. <laughs> that's what all our interpreters were like. So, always trying to sell that stuff. But that's so we're back to the we're back to him. We're out of the Thatcherite eighties. We're in the nice, caring, kinder Corbyn world of politics, where uh, we're much kinder. Actually, uh, I've mentioned Corbyn's. Uh, Katie does a, a a podcast about the monarchy, and um, I just was wondering what your views were. Actually, this, this is. Total side issue yeah. about uh, about Jeremy Corbyn and his love of the Queen. Is, is he going to be discussed in the Royal Review for the, his refusal to uh, meet the uh, Queen? Yes, yeah, definitely yeah. when we come back. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, yeah. right. No, okay. interesting. Well, I, I have to say, I think I tweeted the other day that I'm sure the Queen's not all that thrilled about having to meet Jeremy Corbyn either. So yeah. it does cut both ways, doesn't it? It does. Mind you, uh, he, she might be interested in his allotment. He's got a marvelous allotment. Everybody should have an allotment, and for that reason alone, I think Jeremy Corbyn is a Fantastic man. She might also be interested in his uh, in his uh, knowledge of uh, what is it uh, manhole covers as well. Oh yes, that's his uh, another one of his uh, yeah. little obsessions. Yeah. So uh, typical blooming lefty. Typical interested lefty. in manhole covers. Anyway, sorry talking for of that. typical characters. I mean, so, in one yeah. sense, we're talking in stereotypes, aren't we? Yeah, we're talking. Yeah. The, the media likes to pigeonhole people like Jeremy Corbyn. He's a sort of, you know, he's CMD, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's a sense in which, although what we're not saying is you should fill your sitcoms with stereotypes, what we are saying is there are archetypes. 
And actually, the audience is thinking in archetypes. Yeah. The audience are trying to work out, the moment they see a character, they're trying to think, oh, what sort of person is that? And they'll pigeonhole them. And you can try and resist that if you want, but the audience are doing that. So you do need to work with it, even if you're going to subvert it or twist it, which I suggest you do. Yeah. But at the same time, we do need to just work out uh, what these archetypes are. Yeah, it's a shortcut, isn't it? A shortcut yeah. to a laugh. And uh, so I'm starting with um, the first character that we, we thought up here was uh, the idiot. Hooray! Uh, yeah. We love idiots. We love idiots. Well, and uh, I used to write with uh, a man called Paul McKenzie, very funny comedy writer. Uh, he always called the idiot that he's a, he's the free laugh, basically. Um, and, you know, idiot savant was what we used to call them. And... There have been some changes. I think a lot of people now recognise that a lot of characters who were called idiots uh, in previous sitcoms were dyslexic or had special needs and they're, they're, severe uh, learning difficulties. Yes, or autism or whatever. And so it's kind of uh, and it, that in itself was shown with Derek, wasn't it? Yeah. Where it was like, is this person an idiot, mm. or are they are they somewhere on the autistic spectrum? Yeah, and. Uh, it is in the mind of the audience, really, uh, yeah. to make up their own minds. But if you don't want that to be an issue in your sitcom, you do just need to work out how to handle that. Hmm. But there are plenty of examples where you think, actually, you're on the side of the angels here. Uh, who have we got? We've got Trigger and Only Fools and Horses, I yeah. think, is a good example. Mm-hmm. And you've got some others as well. Yeah, he's, he's, he's sort of literal, isn't he, really, Trigger? Uh, he's, a sort of very, he, he, he's a very sort of literal person. Um, you've got... Um, Dougal in Father Ted, he's he's a child, really, isn't he? Yes. That that's that's another you know another way. If you look at all, imagine all of Dougal's lines, they could have been they could be said by a, a ten year old, couldn't they? Um, a ten year old who's gone through seminary somehow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alice is similar in the Vicar of Dibley. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good. I think yeah. that's a good um, similarity because she has a yeah. childish quality. Yeah. The is, we, is Alice Dougal? Well, out of interest, and someone had a theory. They said Rich Curtis. He's all his characters are. They're other characters that are taken from other things. Well, sometimes. Well, there's a sense in which, again, because because sitcoms do deal in archetype. Because yeah. with with comedy, you are trying to compress in order to get a laugh. You're trying to remove complications yeah. in order to get laugh in order to get laughs, and therefore you're using these characters. So. Because there are so many sitcoms around, you, you could probably track lots of Richard Curtis characters to other shows, but you could track every other character and other shows to other shows. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. you know, if you've got it in for Richard Curtis, you could definitely make a case, <laughs> yeah. but you could probably also okay. make a case for the others as well. Yeah. There are, there's a different kind of um, idiot as well. I think the idiot savant thing I think is useful. In my hero, I mentioned it in the last podcast. There was a character called Tyler. Mm-hmm. who wasn't so much an idiot but was clearly away with the fairies right who who believed in who believed in aliens and all that kind of stuff yeah. and he, the the irony of that particular character was the fact that he knew that Ardlo Hanlon's character was an alien from another planet with special powers right. but because it was Tyler nobody listened to him yeah okay. so there's a sense in which it was like um Cassandra the prophetess Mm-hmm. In uh, the Siege of Troy, yeah. she sort of said, "Don't don't let the Trojan horse come in because it's full of soldiers." But nobody listened to her because, oh, it's Cassandra, so he can ignore what they say because she's clearly uh, crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can you, you can play around with this idiot character. We had uh, in Bluestone, we had uh, Rocket, yeah, who was the 
the idiot, but we also, again, you're trying to find a new thing. We made him an animal lover. Yeah. So there's an episode where there's a rat that goes missing and he tries to you know, get hold of the rat and yeah. those sorts of things. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I, uh, I always thought of him as an extreme, he is an extreme character. And I never actually thought of him as the idiot, so you disguised it well. <laughs> right, yeah, well, no, he really was. And yet there's another great useful thing about why I recommend having an idiot in your show is because you can explain the plot to them. Right. So whenever an idiot is about to, you know, you're, you're, the characters are all about to go and do the big thing. They're about to go and rob a bank or do some extreme thing that it's come to. The idiot is going, so, hang on, what are we doing again? And then yeah. we've got to do the thing so that we can do the thing. And if we haven't done X by the time this happens, then all is lost, blah, blah, blah. Oh, right. Okay. Did you understand that? No. Yeah. You know, you can, yeah. and you can always find a way of getting a laugh off it as well. Right. So idiot characters are extremely useful. They give you a free love for your exposition. So that's yes. good. Yes, exactly. They, get, they give you a free pass right. to do exposition yeah. and then a laugh for it as well. Yeah. Good. And the, I mean, some of these characters are like, I mean, characters like Moss, for instance, in the crowd, is his such a such a well uh, drawn character. He's he's you know one of the main characters uh, in in that show. And then you've got the in fact you've got Big Bang Theory, which is a, basically a, a, an entire sitcom of, of people on the autistic spectrum, <laughs> different types of, of of autism, I suppose, really. So so um, yeah, there, there, there is. Um, Yes, yeah, so they're idiots, but they're yeah. they're all um, science um, yeah. doctors, professors, yeah. or whatever. Right. Okay. Well, let's move. Uh, we got a lot of these to, 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 to get through, so we'll crack on. We got the, the, the next one uh, is uh, the the wisecracker, which is a, a which is a, a very useful character to have because the only reason they're in your sitcom is to tell jokes. Yeah. So, what, what what more would you want really um, from a character? Uh, Norm is from Cheers is uh, the first one who, who springs to mind. Um, then there's, there are the, 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 a lot of the main characters as well. We've mentioned we've talked a lot about um, Sergeant Bilko in recent uh, episodes because and, I'm obsessed with Bilko <laughs> and I love the show. I haven't watched it for ages, uh, but I, I, I certainly um, was. Very, very uh, sort of heavily influenced by that show in my sort of childhood, really. Lee in Not Going Out, uh, Hawkeye in MASH. Uh, as I say, these are all the sort of main characters. We don't... I, I, I think Norm had a had a backstory, but we, we, we didn't really find out much. And, and really, all you need to know about Norm, he's, a, he's, he's overweight and he's in the bar a lot. And he's escaping his wife, Vera. Vera, well, yeah, who we I never, mean, yeah. who of course we never see. Yeah, I think yeah. what's interesting, Hawkeye is a good example of how your wisecracker can work. I think we've covered this maybe quite early, in one of the earlier podcasts. Hawkeye is a wisecracker. He is a voice of reason in a world that is mad. Mm. So there's a sense in which you've got someone who they they belong in that show and they can lead the show because they're in the same way that Black Adder is also not is a wisecracker. Mm. especially in series well two three and four actually because he's the idiot in series one isn't he yeah but he can do that he can fulfill that role because the world around him is mad yeah so whereas if you just have someone but although it can be made to work because the most famous example Chandler obviously in Friends his funny his his funny characteristic was being funny yeah and to the point where 
you you know this person who can be quite annoying really and they're 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 hiding you know, they're obviously they're using their humor to sort of hide their insecurities and he's quite open about the fact but he still uses it anyway even to the point where people are trying to actually have a serious conversation with him about life or whatever and he cannot resist going for the wisecrack hmm. and even as a bit like lean not going out yeah, as well isn't he yeah exactly. and even as you're laughing you're kind of going you're, you're, you're kind of feeling the, the, the sort of feeling that, that's beyond the sitcom and what makes a show so massively popular mm. like Friends is that you, you know, you're really kind of empathising with that character you, you, you know you, you, you feel the sort of the pathos of that as well as the, but then he does another joke and you're laughing again um, curse you man uh, so um, the next character then who's uh, the, the the best mate character I was trying to think of a few I'm sure there are more that um, um... George Costanza in Seinfeld yeah yes I suppose that's not necessarily what I would say is the main oh I've ruined it already thing about it. Well, <laughs> well, I, I think of him as more you know he is also you know like nothing nothing ever goes right for yeah. him in his own right yeah. but yes he is he is the best mate and he certainly he's the best mate who he, you know doesn't really kind of he's he's not much of a useful best mate is no. he really whereas uh, and, and in fact actually yeah I was thinking about Patsy and Ab Fab you know this is the the best mate who gets you into worse trouble than yeah. uh, uh, than you than you would hope really um, Joey coming back to friends again he's he he he's Chandler's best mate he he sort of serves as a kind of best mate for the other guys really doesn't he mm. and. Uh, you know, as the song goes, he's 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 there for you, isn't he? Mm. You know, um, and again, sometimes these best mates they get you into more trouble than they're worth. I suppose Jez in Peep Show is is uh, yeah. One. I think I mean, there's the, the variation on the best mate is the unreliable ally. Yeah, I would say is there somebody yeah. who sort of takes you a certain and there's and there's some sense to which you know Kramer, who is the crazy guy. Uh, as we'll come on to in a little while, yeah. Kramer is the is someone who's trying to help you, but he'll help you in a way that yeah. makes your life much much harder. Yeah. So that again, those are the variations. Yeah. You've got best mates who are very loyal, and you've got best mates yeah. who are thinking they're loyal but actually making your life harder. The loyal ones—they're quite difficult to write as well. They're a bit straight and not always great for humour. I think again, like someone like BJ in in Mash, who's a great supporter for Hawkeye but doesn't have many laughs but then it's a show where people are getting blown up every five minutes and mm. so you can afford to to have moments where there aren't that mm. many laughs but I was thinking uh, again a show one of my favorite shows the likely lads stroke whatever happened to the likely lads uh Rodney Bue's character Bob he's very straight everything about him is straight and it's a he it's an extreme almost his normality is an extreme he so wants to be the straightest straight man in in straight land but then Terry always sort of leads him astray um let's let's go to the crazy guy now Mm. well uh what's um because that's uh, talking about Kramer. Uh, I mean, other other examples. I think of uh, Super Hans in Peep Show, which, as you pointed out earlier, what a fantastic name for a Super Hans. I have literally no idea what that is. <laughs> no, but you sort of it makes sense. It, it's great, isn't it? Uh, Vivian in the Young Ones, spelt with V Y V Y A N, so like very girly name, and you mm. know, the man's a psychopath. Um, Chris Marshall character in uh, My Family. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was. I mean, he was the unexpected surprise package in that show, yeah. which really got it to yeah. to a hundred episodes in a sense. It gave yeah. such a good launch, even though he left after yeah. series three or four. Uh, series four. I, in fact, I, I, I may have mentioned this before, but I can tell you exactly how popular Chris Marshall uh, was. Chris Marshall equaled three million viewers because uh, <laughs> when he left when he uh, the show was on nine million was getting nine million viewers and then uh, he left and they got six million viewers so so that's you can actually measure in exact terms how successful Chris Marshall was. but he was just you know in series one episode one he was uh, the oldest kid and then it just took off from there really um, and then uh, the, the, I mean the thing about these characters uh, they're just they're fantastic characters mm. to have, aren't they? Because you could just... They, they, all they need to do is just do something crazy, drop the main character in real mess, and yeah. then just walk away. Yeah. That's their job. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's... If you can... Uh, if you can come up with that character and you can find a way of... of, of of doing that, that's mm. brilliant because you just, you know, you want the, you want to drop your main character mm. in in as much uh, jeopardy as as possible, really, and that's a great way to do it. I mean, I'm trying to think of ones where they tried to do it and it didn't quite. There was a there was a sort of British Seinfeld uh, vague memories of in the 1990s. Um, I can't remember. I cannot remember who the main. I think it was supposed to be. I think it might have been Alan Davis actually. Oh right, okay. sure. Uh, and there was a sort of slightly wacky character in that, and it just didn't quite have enough mm. stuff going on. Really, uh, I can't remember what the show was called, but I don't know. Can you think of other? I mean, you've not yet mentioned. Um, oh yes, there's Klinger. Klinger in Mash. Klinger in Mash is a great yeah. one. Um, He's the one who's always walking around in a dress. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking also a show I'd never. I was sort of. Before my time, but Taxi had yeah. sort of had two, didn't it? Yeah, well, Christopher you... Lloyd's character was was uh, pretty pretty kind of uh, out there. Yeah. And then you've got is it Latka or whatever? His yeah, name was? Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So you've sort of got your um, yeah. free free laughs uh, with yeah. those sorts of characters. Yeah, Andy Kaufman. He was more the sort of he was the idiot. Yes. Uh, okay. In fact, he was. Uh, yeah, who was the funny foreigner? Yeah, um, which you know is again is not so. I wonder if so you're it, within that. your within your ensemble. I wonder if you're. We've sort of talked. There is a bit of an overlap between the idiot and the crazy guy. Yeah, and it may be you can probably get away with one, but maybe not two, yeah. unless you've got a really big ensemble like Taxi did. Yeah, and you've got one of the funniest people in human history, in um, uh, what's his name, Andy Kaufman. Yeah, he was yeah. just just. Was well, amazingly cast, weirdly funny. What an amazing cast that was! You know, uh, Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, uh, God, what's he called? Uh, Mary Lou Henner. What's the guy? Hirsch, Don't ask me, mate. Before my Joe Hirsch, 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 of course. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so a crazy guy. Um, the Misery Guts uh, is another one that I'm thinking of. Uh, mentioned last episode, uh, Fraser in Dad's Army. Oh, we're all doomed. Uh, so yes, he he always brought the sitcom down whenever he came on, but yeah. in a in a funny in, way. Because the funny, problem is, if yeah. you've got a, if you've got a if you've got a damp cloth character that can really just yeah. literally be a damp cloth, but you want someone who's going to do it in a funny way and yeah. give it energy and push it in another direction. Yeah. Neil in the Young Ones was uh, another again catchphrase. You're heavy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh man, yeah. it's really heavy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good one actually. 
And then there's uh, the character Roger Lloyd Pack again. We've mentioned Trigger. I can't remember the name of the character, but he was in, in Vicar of Bibley. He'd always have some story of that. Frank. Some Frank. No, that was the boring one. Sorry, that uh, was the... Um... He'd yeah. sort of come with some horrible story out on the farm of some animal that had yeah. been horribly dismembered or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. I can't... That's a good one, actually, though, Katie. Um, Frank was the sort of one with the bow tie, is that yes, right? Yes, yeah, he'd tell the long, rambling yeah. voice. But then yeah. it's funny because you see their reaction, which is just horror or yeah. eye-rolling yeah. or... Oh, the, and I yeah. think I think the, the boar... Is a is a is another one of these characters, yeah, and they, in yeah, my experience, are very hard to make work yeah. because when somebody tells a long rambling story, and everyone on the show is bored, the audience can the also audience. be bored. Yeah. Yeah. So unless you have a particular genius for getting away around that, I tend to tend to find that those characters don't work. I've learned yeah. that the hard way once or twice, I'm sure. Yeah. They sort of did it a bit, they used to sort of do it a bit to Neil in The Young Ones, didn't they? They used to kind of, he would start a story and they just, they'd go off somewhere. They'd, do, they'd, they'd sort of cut to a sort of totally weird, surreal thing. Or they'd just say, oh, shut up. Neil. Yeah, or Vivian would yeah. smash him over the head with yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so the, uh, we've got the misery, and we've had the crazy guy. So the boar, that's a good one. We we, we um, that's a new uh, one to, to add to that. Mm-hmm. Be careful with the boar. Yeah, don't make him boring. Seems a lot funnier when you're planning a sitcom than they do yeah. on the night. Yeah, be warned. If you've got a boar who can, in one line, convey boredom and that you can use sparingly, then that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so the, there's a character, a sort of subsection of the sort of the Big Bang, the sort of precursor to the Big Bang characters, the, the nerd. And, and again, I was sort of trying to think of ones who, uh, sort of earlier nerd characters on Radar from uh, MASH is, is the one that immediately springs to mind. And, um, yeah, the, the, the geeky guy. And, um, he's often, you often see this character in, in the movies. That he's, he's the ugly friend of the of the lead character, isn't he? The nerd, or the or they are the one with the laptop, yeah. Who who will get you into any building you want to get into? Yeah. Um, I've just watched again. For some reason, I love the movie National Treasure. I can't quite account for that. The Nick Cage uh, movie where they're looking for it's, it's sort of Da Vinci Code ish, but it's sort oh, of right, Masonic okay. treasure. They have to steal the Declaration of Independence okay. because there's a secret code on the back, and oh, right. and there is a sidekick nerd character in that right. who is sort of able to plug his laptop into things and get you into buildings. Yeah. They they can be those sorts of characters can be very useful because they can get you to a situation much faster because. The sort of character where you genuinely believe if they plug their laptop in, they really can do X, Y, and Z. So you can do a bank heist in a way that you just couldn't in normal life. Yeah. They, you know, if if you have the right kind of nerd, they do buy you an awful lot. Yeah. And that's why you get them in movies so much. It's yeah. Q, isn't it, from Bond? Okay, yeah. It's been Wishaw and there. Yeah, yeah, the, the new version yeah. of Q, whereas the old Q was sort of a slightly different character. But yeah, right. the new Ben Wishaw version who is sort of young and can get you anywhere and right. do all that business. Yeah, right. that's good. Okay, okay. Um, then there's, um, there's the figure of authority, and um, this is always a very useful uh, character to have because often our main character is railing against that figure, and the uh, immediate one springs to mind for me is uh, Mr Mackay in uh, Porridge, and he is so totally 
the, the sort of the, the, the little man with a with with a little with a loss of power. Yeah, uh, and he really so much of porridge is about Fletch trying to win little victories over, over Mister Mackay. That's that that seem huge because because porridge is such a kind of you know it's such a brilliantly confined sitcom and in, in that world of prison world you know this the tiniest the tiniest victory can be a huge thing and so that that you've got a character like Mackay and he cannot let that he cannot let that authority slip yeah and uh, thinking of other characters who uh the, the frank character in mash who's a bit more of a sort of buffoon but he's he's, he's a, a sort of a tryhard isn't he as yeah. well he's quite an unfortunate sort yeah. of you know he is quite a tragic figure but he happens to be in in charge doesn't he yeah, yeah. although not, not although the totally. real figure of authority played by yeah. a character called henry, henry and there was another yeah. one wasn't there yeah. they they were always sort of amicable and sort yeah. of allowed misbehavior to go on yeah yeah uh, the cj in uh, perry another a great one of the great uh, greatest catchphrases of all time, really, isn't it? I, I didn't get where well, I, I am today, today. without because you can sort of tailor it every time to <laughs> yeah. a different one. Yeah, and uh, I guess this is the first uh, first podcast we've done since uh, we lost the great David Nobbs, of course. Brilliant, yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Writer. Well, CJ is a wonderful creation because he does sort of stand in for nebulous authority figure who also you can't quite work out how they've got there, given yeah. they are such useless windbags. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's a great. He is a great character. Uh, Blakey in On the Buses. Uh, Stephen Lewis, another one who went recently, um, but he he was the classic. The, 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 the sort of uh, little Hitler's was the sort of phrase that people used to use about um, Jobsworths, and Blakey had a little Hitler moustache as well. And he was the, the inspector in On the Buses, and he always you know a stickler for authority, and then they. The, in similar way with porridge, it's always about sort of getting one over Blakey, basically. Mm. Um, and so, so it, it's a very useful character to have. It's somewhat. This is a, a character who does everything by the rules. Yeah. Um, and you know, you generally your your main sitcom character is a character who thinks they don't need rules, or that you know they they, they try to do things. They they try to get what they want. Um, and circumvent the rules, yeah, because yeah. the rules say that they can't have it. Exactly, yeah. it's a t- it's a tough figure to to get right sometimes because you can't play the same authoritarian trick every time. Yeah. So there is a there is a another subset of characters who turn up every now and then, like the inspector character mm. who can turn up to your hotel yeah. and close you down, um, but you can't have that character turn up every week. Right. So. So CJ obviously can can fire Perrin if he yeah. wants to, but um, again Perrin's another example of a character we talked about who is a a wisecracker, isn't he? Yeah. But the world around him is mad. Yeah. And so he's able to yeah. see. So CJ is sort of part of a mad world. Yeah. So it can be. But the Mackay is the ultimate, I think, mm-hmm. showing of an authority figure because mm-hmm. he is. But again, it's. It's a it's an authoritarian disciplinarian sort of thing, and it's reminded me of another arch- archetype which uh, isn't on, isn't on our list, but it suddenly made me remember. Uh, and and this is the, the the character who is the uh, the the the, the slavering uh, sycophant 
when it comes to the figure of authority. And so you had the the, the double acts in Reggie Perrin, the uh, the great guys and the in super. advertising, great super, yeah. yeah. And that's all they said every episode was that oh they they, they came up with an idea and CJ was like that's the worst idea ever, like, great super, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, anything they would just say whatever they had to say. Uh, and and thinking uh, the other obvious version of that is uh, Gareth in the Office. Who is just so totally loyal to David Brent and will, you know, yeah, do anything to kind of get into to Brent's good books. You know, we all we all hate David Brent. We're all supposed to hate David Brent. Yeah. But here's this one character who who worships him. So your figure of authority. If if say your main character mm. is is the boss, yeah, then you've got this. Uh, sub archetype character yeah. who, who is the the, uh, the 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 slavering yes man sycophant yeah so, and sometimes they're doing it because they're trying to get something out of it or sometimes they're just like that I'm now thinking of the British Empire and you have the only person really who likes Gordon Brittas yeah. was the caretaker um, who was ridiculously loyal to him and the caretaker also who had a number of skin diseases and that kind of stuff. He was a really yeah. unpleasant sort of character, but he just thought Gordon. He thought Mister Britas was 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 wonderful. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so that's another one. Yeah, um, we got one, a uh, couple more actually. There's the uh, there's the the student of life, which was one that I, I again I sort of thought of a little bit. Um, they, these are characters who are there to, to, to learn from the master, really, I suppose. Uh, and they're, they're kind of, sometimes they're sort of innocent a little bit. We mentioned Dougal as the sort of idiot stroke child. But, I mean, a character like Godbury in uh, Porridge. Yeah. Uh, and you can see him sort of learn, trying to learn at Fletcher's knee, literally. Well, and also in that, uh, you can, you've got Ronnie Barker as... Um, as Fletcher teaching Godbert, you've also got Ronnie Barker as Arkwright teaching Granville. Yeah. So That's Granville would, is, is a student of life, isn't it? Who's, yeah, yeah. Who is a sort of a dreamer. And it's interesting that now, many, many years on, Granville is now effectively Arkwright. Right. In, in Still Open All Hours. Right. I haven't seen that yet. So no, well, no, I only saw the Christmas one a, couple, a yeah. year or so ago. But that, yeah. he, he now is Arkwright in spite yeah. of... In spite of himself, yeah, which is a nice little uh, thing. And Rodney in uh, Only Fools and Horses, you could, uh, it was interesting how, as that show developed, uh, how Nicholas Lindhurst's character developed, really, and uh, how, how actually he went from being the student, in the same way you're saying, almost uh, mm. with Arkwright, that, that Rodney kind of outgrew uh, Del Boy almost uh, and, and it was almost a sort of sad thing as well in a way because you could tell that he, he you know he was sort of he would never be the kind of the, the, that sort of the, that kind of chancer that kind of character yeah. that Del Boy wanted him to be but he he'd become a sort of more rounded person and which you know when you when you're up series eight or whatever, yeah, of, yeah, of the right. most successful sitcom, you can get away with having this sort of really quite complex uh, ideas around certain characters. But I guess we're where we are. We're in one sense, the student, yeah. In one sense, the student of life is is not quite an empty vessel, but they yeah. do have that naive innocence, yeah. and they are. I think that's a. I'm thinking if um, uh, I'm thinking to some extent in the Vicar of Dibley, you've got Hugo. Uh, who is being taught by the? Do you know what I mean? He feels like he's learning and growing up because yeah. he feels sort of innocent. Yeah. I'm also thinking, to some extent, 
of uh, Bernard in Yes, Prime Minister. Right. There are there are quite a few times where I'm thinking in particular of um, of when Bernard would knock on Humphrey's door and ask him a question about something, and and Humphrey would say, you know, sit down, Bernard, and he would then tell him this is how it really works, or, yeah. or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there's a wonderful bit where they demonstrate to Bernard quite how ignorant he is about international affairs and. You know what's the capital of Chad and what language do they speak in? What's the currency of so and so? And he doesn't know any of them. Ah, ah. At the end, they go, Bernard, you should stand for Parliament because <laughs> <laughs> they established that he is every bit as ignorant as an MP. Yeah. So right. there's a sense in which I think Bernard yeah. is that student of life yeah. character, which mm-hmm. is very useful, especially if you do have a absolutely rock solid. Um, central character like Fletcher, like Godber, like Arkwright, like Hacker, or, or, or sorry, or like Sir Humphrey. You can you can really do because because in one sense they're they're not quite in opposition to them, but right. they are frustrating them by not understanding and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a really good spot actually. That it's a really good, right, really good one. And then uh, we got one more, which uh, the, the 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 busybody is another. I'm sure there are more, by the way. If you've got any ideas, if you could think of other ones as well that we've missed, um, then do email us, sitcomgeeks at gmail.com with your own ideas. But uh, with a busybody, like the interfering neighbour, that's the the, the various characters in One Foot of the Grave, and uh, the neighbours, there's the sort of neighbours in Outnumbered who always sort of seem a bit more perfect than than, sort of the mirror family. They're perfect, but then they're not perfect, is the joke. Uh, The the Dorian character... I think that's the best one. I think of all the ones, I think Dorian is particularly... The neighbour who keeps coming round yeah. and who always turns up with with plot and story and intrigue. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember almost nothing other than in Freshfields there was a neighbour called Sonia. Right. There'd always be a knock at the back door, and it would be it's only Sonia, and okay. she was the kind of she would always turn up with 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 a plot, with a plot. basically, <laughs> and that that would be Dorian in um, yeah. in Birds of a Feather, wouldn't okay. it? She would. She would knock on the back door and come in with a B story. Right. Um, so, uh, and Mark, you know, her husband, Marcus, who again we never see. Yeah. Oh, Marcus has done X, which now means I can't sleep with my plumber, which I'd like to be able to do or something. Yeah. They were mostly stories of her yeah. trying to sleep with people. Right. So, um, but then she would sit in judgment on Sharon and Tracy as well. Yeah. So she was yeah. disapproving whilst herself being... Yeah. Morally reprehensible. Yeah. Inter- she kind of represents interfering at every sort of level, really. Not just kind of knocking on the door and coming in, but then also, you know, kind of getting involved in their lives. Really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Well, that, that's a that's a, a big load. Just 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 to kind of recap. Obviously, these are not set in stone, and some of them will overlap. But we basically we've come up with um, uh, the idiot, the wisecracker, uh, the best mate. The crazy guy, the misery, the nerd, the figure of authority, the student of life, and the busybody. And that's a pretty good list to me. Not a bad list, yeah. And as we say, don't copy what's been done before, but just think about those kind of the, the, the kind of things those people bring to the show in terms of the main characters, what they can do to to cause havoc for mm. the main character. And also, you're doing this because the audience are trying to work out who these characters are. And especially 
in your pilot script, you know, this, this is always the first thing that they're going to, that, that you're going to send out or that you're going to write, that someone's going to read, is they are thinking, what sort of person is this? And it'd be wonderful to some extent if nobody ever had any preconceptions about anything that anyone ever wrote, but that is not the world we live in. So these, these are those, large, to some extent, larger than life characters who, who come in and um, that, we, that you need to sort of be thinking are going to populate your show. Yeah, as we say, if you can think of any more, sitcomgeeks at gmail.com. And uh, just a quick mention, actually, uh, just before we go, I'd like to talk about um, something that James has been doing. James has been uh, sneakily, while while we've been looking elsewhere, James has been creating a sitcom, haven't you, on your Sitcom Geeks uh, Oh, yes, website. I have, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to just tell us a little yeah, bit about Yes, so what that? I thought I'd do is quite often... Well, quite often. Occasionally, I'm asked for specific examples of the sitcom creation process. So all I've done is I've essentially created a sitcom on the blog called Third Time Lucky, which is not a show which I'm expecting anyone ever to commission at any point, although I'm obviously secretly hoping that they will. But it's... Uh, and so I'm just walking through the process of of how to create a show. The premise of the show is a couple who are marrying for the third time, but it's the second time they're marrying each other. And so what I've sort of worked out, what, you know, we talked about in the first podcast, I think about what's your show about, what's it really about Mm -hmm. at the moment. What I think it's really about is whether people can change. And obviously in sitcoms, they don't change, but this is a show very much about the optimism that you might have that this time it's going to be different. Yeah. So their marriage has already failed once before. They've married, they've both married other people, and that's ended for a variety of reasons. I don't know what yeah. yet, but and now I'm just sort of working through who are these characters, what do the stories look like, and so just going step by step all the way through. And it being a blog and having a little sort of comments uh, place under underneath it, and people people have been coming up with suggestions and ideas haven't they a little bit yes yeah, yeah. well have you been doing this in code or secret today no it's just i happen to mention it i've been working today with uh bill dare who's a very funny writer and producer who's also happens to be the uh, tutor of the national film television school uh, comedy writing course um and so he 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 studies sitcom a lot uh and um i, I told him what your premise was, mm. and I said that I was curious to hear what he might have to say. And he said, "I'm not sure you're going to like this." Go on. He said he thought the problem with it too much backstory. Well, that's exactly it. And so I've been writing um, stuff about just making sure the show is always looking forward. Yeah. Okay. So that's why it's more a question of, and I've specifically made both characters optimists about different things. So that is a worry. And it may be that, as because I, I literally have no idea where this... I don't have any good secret plan. Mm-hmm. I may discover further down the line as I blog about this more that th- this isn't going to work. But it may produce yeah. something that is going to work. So, as, uh, as James Carey will tell you, backstory is the enemy of sitcom. Yes, yes that's right. Confusion, confusion is the enemy and backstory is death. Right, okay. So, so uh, that's just that's Bill's note. Yeah. But anyway, he's, that, that's just on the basis of me... Selling it to him in a sentence, so I'm sure, <laughs> sure he reads more. He'll 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 see 
where the show is going and how it's going to work. So, yes, we. Uh, I'm, I'm Dave. I'm Dave Curran. And I've got a book out, which is called How to Be Averagely Successful at Comedy. James, also, you have a book out. Which called is, Writing That Sitcom. Which is just about writing sitcom. And it's, uh, it's a mine of information. Very, very useful. Very and uh, we're on Facebook as well, Sitcom Geeks. Um, so and, like us. Yes. Please, if you like us, and even yeah. if you don't like us, what does it yeah. cost us to like us? Just yeah. pretend. Just, just a click. Sitcom is all about faking it. You yeah. know, people are delusional in sitcoms. Just pretend you like yeah. it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's great. And Katie, our producer, thank you very much. Katie has her own products uh, as well. Her own products. One of which is the Royal Review podcast. Yeah, we've actually, we've not come back from our summer break. We are you're... stretching the definition of summer. You really right are. until October, but I've had other things on, so. That's cool. Yeah. Excellent. Good to be busy. Yeah. Okay, and uh, thanks to Rushforth Media, who have allowed us to use their facilities here, and the British Comedy Guide, who uh, run the podcast. Uh, I'm Dave, that's James. I'm James. back. Uh, we'll be back again with another episode in two weeks' time. The big, uh, big eleven. We've got over the big ten. Uh, so number eleven coming up next. But turn it up to eleven. Comedy eleven, isn't it? Yeah. Spinal Tap, eleven to come soon. <laughs>